Well, hello, 2021. Welcome, January 2021. All of our problems are now over. 2020 <laughs> is behind us. Wait, what? Everything that happened in 2020 didn't happen or doesn't matter because it's a new year. That's not right. Don't you know, David? Uh, if only. <laughs> I wish. I wish. I, I think that that will no longer be a shared sentiment because of how wrong we were last year. I know. It's like every TV show, Instagram story that I see right now is, well, this is what I said at January 2020, and I'm not going to say anything about January 2021. They're just, everyone yeah. was wrong, right? Yeah. You know? <laughs> I don't want to jinx it. No way. <laughs> so are you someone that does resolutions or no? I don't. I don't like resolutions. Um, no. Why? And I think it's because I'd rather live my life in a way, if I see something that I need to change, you know, why wait till January to do it? Yeah. But I think more than that, when I try to make a big change, it just doesn't stick, you know, versus, okay, what, what do I want to be? So set kind of setting the target of the goal. And then what's the first step to get there rather than just like make a big leap? Like, I, you know, I, I can't change my whole diet overnight. Yeah. But I can make one change. And there's something about like setting a goal or having a resolution on January 1st that means like this is a 12 month commitment. Yeah. And that to me, I think is, uh, more intimidating. It's sort of like what we talk about in a lot of our episodes is that when we're saying, Hey, bring on this new exercise, if that adds more anxiety, that's counterproductive to the intention behind it. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, for me, that anxiety, it's almost like it sets me up to fail. Right. I love how we, we did bring it up in, uh, one of our earliest episodes about meditation. Yeah. Like for me to think about adding a meditation practice of 15 minutes or even 10 minutes a day, I would fail three or four days in, but I can think about adding 30 seconds a day. Yeah. A, a breath a day. Yeah. Um, and if I fail, I can start over next hour or start tomorrow when, when I feel like I make a New Year's resolution, or at least ones I've tried to make in the past. By the time I fail three or four days in, it's just like, ah, forget it. Versus every day is a new chance to start something small. Well, I mean, it's human nature to rebel, right? So when someone, even if that someone is yourself telling you you can't do something, you're like, screw you, I can do whatever I want. So that's then it creates this tension rather than approaching new habits or newness with like a flow. Part of the reason why I don't like resolutions is because I think that when I'm in flow with myself, I make little changes on whatever day or whatever hour it may be. And I challenge myself to not have to assign those changes to a Monday because it's the start of a week or to uh, the first of a month, whatever it may be. And instead like give myself the flexibility to like start fresh um, or try something new at any given moment. Yeah. Plus resolutions to me makes me feel like I'm just like one of many. And it's like, I'm jumping, joining the bandwagon. And that's something that I rebel against. <laughs> so you're rebelling <laughs> against the rebelling of yourself. Is that how I follow that? I am just now realizing how much of a rebel I am. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, stay tuned for next week when we talk about rare breeds. <laughs> yes, yes, which is all about being a rebel and accepting that rebel within. But Yeah, yeah. No, I do like how, um, you know, while I don't like the new year for resolutions, I do like the new year for a moment to pause and reflect because it's kind of like it is ending a chapter of your life story good, bad, or whatever, but you're now able to close the chapter and move on. So I think while resolutions is not something I'm striving towards, taking a pause and being reflective and looking within is really healthy. Yeah. What I love about what we're talking about is that each of us have opinions around, you know, strong opinions around resolutions or goal setting or whatever it is. And that to me is a testament to the work that we're always trying to do to be more self-aware. And, you know, in January, you hear this all the time, new year, new you. And our approach in this time is to say new year, know you. So 
I think many of us can agree that last year was really revealing. It's likely that through the adversities of 2020, we've all been reintroduced to parts of ourselves that maybe we never had met or hadn't faced in some time. And so the intention behind this January series that we're calling New Year Know You is really just a continuation of doing the work to understand ourselves better so that we can do everything that is within the third place or the spirit of the third place, which is having deeper conversations Yeah, that are often not so fun. Right. And I think that um, we did say it a few times last year, the work of the third place is now just beginning, right? So we want to equip ourselves with tools to go deeper with our relationships, intimate relationships, professional relationships, personal relationships, all of them. But one of the best ways to do that is to have that knowing of yourself. Like how do we even process information? And, and for me, I mean, this is something we talked about when we did talk about personality assessments in the fall as a whole. Like one of the reasons why I like them is we're, we're all complex and knowing Myself is this journey too. I get surprised all the time with these personal assessments of I learn a little bit more of my own self and I'm the one that's inside my own head, but I still am constantly learning about myself, how I do process information, how I feel information, how I think about information. And the more I do that, the better equipped I am to have those really great relationships and healthy dialogues. Yeah, because then you're rooted in a sense of knowing and um, you're coming from a more consistent place and consistency is a really important piece of the puzzle when having uh, conversations around things that are more heightened. So we love personality assessments because they are also really bite-sized and over the next few weeks, we're going to be introducing you to three different perspectives Today, the Enneagram, next week, what Sunny and Ashley, co-authors of a book called Being a Rare Breed, and then following that, Myers-Briggs uh, tried and true approach to personality that we've all probably heard of at one point or another. Cool. Well, we hope that these conversations are going to be helpful for you as we all start this journey to learn more about ourselves. We welcome you to explore the third place with us. It is an invitation to the gray space, a space where deeper connections are fostered through challenging, challenging empowering, empowering, and engaging dialogue. You will walk away with a deeper understanding of self, equipped to engage with others in life's complex conversations. Thank you for listening. We invite you in to the third place. So welcome everyone to the Third Place Podcast. I am elated to be bringing on someone that became a friend in the last year, not even half of a year. Nicole Sewell really uh, was a saving grace to my four siblings and I when we lost our father at the end of March and was looking like, how can I find an estate family lawyer? And she really came with her husband and had helped us through completely foreign territory for us. And through that has also started her own company outside of that. So not only are you a mom, you are a lawyer and you started Sailor Sweet Life, which uh, is really why we're bringing you on board today is to talk more about the work that you do with the Enneagram. Yes, I'm so excited. It all ties together, as we'll see. Yes, so <laughs> true. So true. For anyone who's not familiar I'm only a year-ish familiar with Enneagram and, and thinking through it. So maybe just a brief synopsis of what is it? <laughs> I think it's it's definitely becoming more and more popular. Absolutely. All right. So I've been working with the Enneagram near on, oh, getting near on a decade. As you shared, Mary, I am an attorney. And I also started a social enterprise with a colleague from law school called Women in the Mix back in about 2012. And it was dedicated to the proposition that we as moms, we as women that are moms can have meaningful work and meaningful family life, that it shouldn't be an either or proposition, but it takes kind of the best of um, access, community support, and probably an attitude. And that's a lot where Enneagram came into the place. A lot of us are familiar with kind of 
you know, the old Myers-Briggs and um, these kind of personality assessments or motivational assessments, right? And so the Enneagram is a uh, tool. I like to call it a tool that, you know, you might have heard of Big Five or Myers-Briggs or many of the other ones out there. Why I became such a fan, student, and then teacher of Enneagram is because it's so um, usable. I am very action-oriented, and it can give action no matter what you're motivated by, no matter what your personality is like, introverted, extroverted, adaptable, flexible, inflexible, right, positive, negative, optimistic, whatever it is, it's a working tool. And so it is both a study, you learn some, and a practice, you practice it, and then you keep building on it. It's really uh, intricate. If you want to go that deep, it's really simple, as we'll go through today, to get started. Um, and you can apply right probably from our lesson today. As we talk, and we talk about the two of you, which is so much fun, <laughs> we will see ways in which you can apply it almost immediately. And that's why it's so different, I think, than many of the other tools out there, is because it is a working tool simple, get going if you're willing. I love hearing that because a lot of what we try to do in the third place too is how can we give bite-sized little bits of um, takeaways that people can implement that don't feel like anxiety producing, but they're meant to do, you know, remedy that. So, you know, I hear that the Enneagram sounds very similar in that way, that it's like this is a, a way for you to create greater understanding in an expedited way and then also have takeaways that can be easily implemented. Absolutely. And so I should probably, if I skipped from lawyer to women in the mix and then to Enneagram, and I skipped the step of Sailor Sweet Life. Sailor Sweet Life is a life strategy business, just so that people know how the parts come together. Um, think about kind of life coaching, but on steroids with a specific, implementable, customizable plan for that individual. And the whole idea is advice that we all receive is generally so well intended but so poorly executed because Mary, I would give you advice and David advice based on what works for me, the best version of me, me taking action that doesn't have emotions and messiness involved. And that's probably not a great fit necessarily for either one of you, let alone both of you. Um, so a sweet life strategy really is based on the ideas that I believe that everybody should have a sweet life. Notice I didn't say happy because happy we get this image of like skipping through the street with balloons and candy falling in the air and Life has no complication or challenge. And as you know very well in this last six months, life has lots of complication and challenge. And that's not the part where we're actually looking to change. We're changing um, and fortifying our reaction to what comes at us so that it doesn't feel necessarily so hard or really what I like to say is it's the ultimate unstuck. We understand what motivates us from Enneagram and we layer that in with a strategy for our, you know, goodness, our success, our sweet life. Hmm. Yeah. Well, and I, I like too how, to me, it relates to your other work as well, just empowering women and to be both and. Mm-hmm. It feels like, from my perspective, that COVID has made things more stressful for everybody, but women disproportionately are take, carrying more burdens than they were even be, before. And we are already, we're not at the a level playing field. So, you know. It's like we went backwards and it's really frustrating to see all that. So to be able to continue to empower, to meet people where they're at and to move forward, I think is just really important work today more than ever. Absolutely. And the goal is to equip and therefore you're empowered. If you feel like you can get through, even if it's hard, right, juggling the many different um you know, balls in the air that we each have, man or woman, right, father or mother. But generally, as you said, moms tend to wear lots of different hats at the same time and try to keep the balls in the air, right? And it doesn't always happen. And you do the best you can. But if you have something that you know works for you, like I know what motivates me. I know how to get the best out of me. I also know what triggers me and challenges me where, you know, we often call it, oh, I procrastinate. So we procrastinate because things are hard Um, and they're not hard across the board to all of us, right? Like think about really simplistically school. If you were more math or STEM brained, or if you were more writing and history brained, you generally did the subjects that came to you naturally and you'd be like, this is great. And then everybody would always tell you to dig in, you know, kind of that strength finder thing and, and, and really, you know, play to figure out how to leverage up those things that you're weak about. Well, actually, I really believe in Enneagram really believes is leverage those natural strengths and smooth a bit of the triggers, anticipate them, meet them in a place of, of strength as opposed to, 
oh, I'm always behind, right? And so that is that whole idea. It's like, figure out if you weren't math-brained, yes, you can get through math, but actually when you're an adult, can you outsource math? Not right now in, you know, in a pandemic when your children are home with you and I'm doing linear algebra with one of them, which is way past my pay grade and many years in my past. But we figure out a way to get through. Do you remember that uh, that webinar that you and I both attended that was on productivity and, and energy and you and I ended up having like we had a sidebar <laughs> chat conversation during the webinar because it was sort of pigeonholing that the best to have the most productive day you had to wake up at this hour and do these things and that it would sort of unfold, unfold in that way. And we were like, well, that really only is, uh, applies to one certain type. And that's not acknowledging that the first step is to understand when do you have optimal energy and what type of energy and how do you uh how do you utilize that type of energy for the work that you need to get done and the requirements or the duties that you have, right? So uh, I just thought I just thought that that seemed like so relevant to what we're talking about, that it's like personalizing it and really backing up and, and simplifying it at the same time and not just creating this one blanket statement or approach. So I'd love, I love that you brought that up because that's one of the other tools that I use and it's a less well-known one. It's the concept of creating, knowing your chronotype, which is just your time type. Um, And it's based all in science and research. And it shows that by knowing there's generally three main ones and by doing a simple kind of quiz and really looking inside yourself and being honest, not what society (laughs) expects, but truly your best moments and your not such best moments. Um, And knowing your time type, you can actually structure your day. And you and I have this wonderful sidebar because when you layer your Enneagram archetype, right, with your chronotypes, all your types coming together and then really doing a dig, um, where you feel the best, what gives you the most energy, what takes it away from you, you start creating this strategy and therefore you have something, you know, your priorities that takes you all the way through. So just going to the time type for a second, because I know you and I related on this, people love to tell you in productivity talks to tell us, you should do this, A, B, C, D, all through your day from rise to shine. You should meditate at this time. You should do your exercise at this time. You should, you know, get this done at this time. And I will totally break that up for you all because you're really trying to figure out where you're most creative, when you're most collaborative, when you're most analytical. And people love to say getting everything done in the morning. First of all, everything does not fit in the morning. And there's certain things that actually happen so much better in the afternoon because almost universally people are more, and I love this term, fuzzy brained. When we're more fuzzy brained, we're less focused, we're less energetic. Don't go to the doctor, don't go to the dentist. Don't tell them I told you that, but don't do that. There's more mistakes made in the afternoon in surgeries. There's more complications and sponges left in people. There's more infections that happen after because everybody is less clear in the afternoon. It's that oftentimes we think of it as that lunch divot. It's not. It's just a natural energy flow that happens for nearly the whole population. But amazing creative solutions can come in the afternoon. Um, It's an amazing time to connect socially. things that we just are trying to solve and we keep going down the same path, down the same path, down the same path. Well, because we're fuzzy brained, that path isn't so clear and now we're open to new paths. And there's other kind of fun tips and tricks to layer in depending on which time type you are. That's super fascinating. (laughs) I feel kind of cool because I like learned my energy. It was just like so abundantly obvious. I've always been very, very early bird, very Mm -hmm. sharp at that time. So what I did when I finally started to put that into action was in college. I decided I put all of my classes that I had to attend, I actually did it in the afternoon hours so that I could be the most um, active or optimal in the morning. So I changed it. For a long time, I thought I should be like the most alert and available and I should have all morning classes. And instead, I lost all of that energy that I was having in that time. And so I flip-flopped it. And I remember that was like revolutionary for me as like a 20 year old. What did you study? I studied contemplative psychology. Oh, perfect. Okay. So I did a blog post a couple months back called math in the morning, and it's been one of my most popular because I would tell you to take analytical classes, maths and sciences in the morning, but psychology and contemplating, right? Contemplative, right? Afternoon, you are so much more open to receiving and thinking big uh, than, uh, then thinking down the line. So, you know, as your uh, kids grow up, math in the morning, if you can handle it, the statistics support it. 
that scores are almost double in the morning. Mm -hmm. Um, But the difference is doing creative writing, writing, reading, um, psychology, social studies, history, all in the afternoon. I love that. I feel like I thrive more in the afternoons. I'm really good on the analytical side, and I probably do just naturally take care of that in the morning, get stuff out of the way. But I am more of the a night owl afternoon gets me going, and it's because, I mean, Mary knows just the creative. Once the creative gets going in me, it's just I can't turn it off. So that fits my personality. That makes a lot of sense. And and our dynamic, because uh, often, <laughs> often you know maybe he'll feel behind by midday, and I'll feel, and then it'll it'll flip flop. So by the next morning, then I feel behind, and then we like because each of our roles and in, in the work that we do together is so complementary in that way. More of the the details versus the vision. Not to say that we both don't have both, but that right. really it's that strengths thing. So, yeah. So then you know to get back to the enneagram. Um, so how many children do you have? I have three sons. I don't know if you know this, Nicole. Maybe I told you, but we did the Enneagram, my my four siblings and my parents and I, when I was like in middle school. And I thought that that was so bizarre. I mean, this was in the 80s or, or the 90s, early 90s. And I feel like that's where my love of personality tests come from or just the curiosity I have about how people operate and how they operate in relationship. And I grew up being, um, I was told I was a six, but I, I have not tested as a six since then. So that's what's interesting is that you, everybody wants a quick solution, right? Tell me what it is. Um, so you can do these assessments and there's, I always caution people. It's a starting place. Enneagram is really in the self-recognition. Because in the self-recognition, there's a big part of acceptance. And when you accept that you are a number, if it fits right, you actually have so much potential with that archetype. It empowers you. Uh, it gives you so much clarity. It gives you, I like to say, a roadmap forward to yourself and to others, especially when it comes to communication and interaction. However, if people tell you you're a number and that number doesn't fit, it's actually useless, right? So Everybody wants a quick test or there's some really pricey tests. And I always caution everybody about that because we have a bias. Like when we take a quiz, be it five questions or 105 questions, we can't help except if you're an eight because eights are really clear. But if you're any other archetype on the Enneagram, you're going to answer somewhat with uh, influences of parents, of the societal shoulds. What does society value? Oh, I wish I was more like that. I'll just check yes and maybe I'll grow into it. And so they don't come out accurate. I'd say they're just a starting place. And I believe you said since then you've taken quite a few and, and one shows up quite a bit for you, mm-hmm. Mary, which yeah. haven't seen you over many conversations, Zoom conversations. The one is very fitting. Right. A one is guided by a sense, an idealism, a sense of perfect, right and correct. There's a correct way to do things. They make others feel cared for because they do things to get them done with integrity. Um, your, so your siblings just trust you mm-hmm. because they know that that's how you go at life. A different Enneagram archetype, they might have thought you could have been more out for yourself because as a younger sibling, or are you actually the youngest? The youngest, yeah. Okay. So as the youngest sibling, that's what I thought, um, and you have quite a few siblings that are quite a bit older than you, right? Oftentimes, the one that takes charge is the oldest right? Um, just because of birth order, but their comfort and confidence in you was very reaffirming to the one that you are. Not that you couldn't be a six, but because you organized thinker, precise in what you're doing, there's an innate sense of fairness. Mm-hmm. And that is very one, to have others believe in your integrity, your sense of equality and equity, your idealism that there's a right way to go through and have a fair outcome. I, I mean, as I'm listening, it's it's so spot on. And I'm sure David would agree that anytime I've come to him in the last five years, because he's seen my progression in in my career as well, that when my integrity is questioned, that's one of my greatest triggers is when Mm -hmm. someone does not uh, trust me, projects a lack of trust, or has some false idea that there's any lacking integrity, even if it's a, a hair, that can really make me spiral. And 
The one thing, though, about the one that I've, like, when I would observe it or the perception I've had of it is that it's, like, very much a perfectionist. Is that true? It can be, but we have to remember that it goes to our main priorities. It doesn't mean my husband's a one, um, and it does not mean that everything he does is just right. Those things he cares about are done just right. Okay. Is our house neat as a pin? Is his car neat as a pin? All those things. People always think it goes all the way across. It actually applies to the things that matter to us most, right? So I'm just going to throw David in for a second. Um, David, I believe you uh, came back with a three wing two. And a three is an achiever, right? Accomplishment based. So threes are generally high energy um, to just, they, they're human doers, almost over human beings. Um, they at times have a uncanny ability to pivot and take in what has to happen, but at the same time they can get lost in it. But that doesn't mean they achieve across everything in life because some of the things that don't matter to them, they're not going to bother putting their energy to. Now, David, I know we'll get back to it because David thinks he possibly could be a seven, which there are similarities between threes and seven. So we'll get to that in a second. Um, but I just wanted to bring that up because we are not caricatures of the actual archetypes. Like because there are short term terminology and really wonderful long descriptions that you can read, oftentimes people feel like, oh, my God, it's like someone looked in my soul. They let you know because you, you start shaking your head. That's why I'm saying you do the work, right? You really do the work to see, and it's not a lot of work with Enneagram because it's so approachable, but when you connect with an archetype, you do feel like someone peeked inside your soul because 80 to 90% of what's written about both the wonderful things, but also the cringeworthy parts really connect to you. Not 100% because we're dynamic, interesting human beings. We're not divided into nine equally. And that's how when I say as you go on to study Enneagram, you have a wing, which is one of the numbers next to you on the chart. You have a place you go in security. You have a place you go in insecurity. Um, some people are divided fairly equally between their primary archetype and their wing. So you're not, if you met another one, Mary, you're not going to mimic each other. If David and I, I'm a three, um, David and I are not going to mimic each other if he is a three as well. We'll share certain, certain commonalities. We'll probably communicate very effectively um, if we share a number because three is our direct um, they get right to action. They appreciate no hidden agenda. They appreciate if you say you're going to do it, you're really going to do it. You know, there's certain things that I think Enneagram is one of the most wonderful communication tools. Um, that's one of the ways I've been working with a lot of clients right now as we get toward the holidays, whether they're meeting in person or they're meeting Zoom or on a, in a park or whatever it is. Um, can they get along in the time that they're together? And 90% of negative interaction is not from bad intention. It's from miscommunication. People talk like they're talking to themselves because that's effective to them. But you really need to figure out how to pivot for your recipient, for who you're speaking with. Man, that, that sinks in for sure. I mean, that you talk like you talk to yourself is something that I witness and experience so much, and I'm trying to stretch a little bit more all the time to be able to communicate from an empathetic state uh, mm -hmm. and understand how they would understand it better. But that that just takes so much practice and so much work. So the more practice you do, the less work it is. It yeah. feels like work in the beginning because we have to think outside of ourselves and pivot uh, for the audience. You would think right away, family of five kids, you're the youngest. You would be a genius pivoter, uh, potentially, uh, knowing your different siblings right? <laughs> and their different styles, uh, which I encountered. Uh, in and the motivation for it is that you actually, it's more productive. It's more effective, right? If your first communication is actually well received. Um, ones, because they have such good intention, such um, impeccable integrity, don't understand in some sense why people just don't believe them and take it as is the first time they say it, right? Um, but at the same time, if you feel questions, ones can become very defensive. Uh, and <laughs> I wish they could see your eyes. Ones can become very defensive. And then their communication is almost dismissive of others and aggressive, right? Yeah. And so the key is, you know, can you recognize the situation and not come across as critical, 
I work with several families and I have one, the dad is a one and his kids are not. And they sometimes, they really lose each other because his intention is good. How he comes across felt so um, critical to them that they just tune right out, right? And that's ineffective for everyone. I wanted to give a little bit uh, to your audience in just understanding the, ar the archetypes from a broad level. There's nine of them, right? So in this tool, there's nine archetypes, one through nine. The even numbers, one, three, five, seven, right, tend to be analytically based. So their motivations, their decisions, their actions, their communications tend to be more on the analytical, they're in their head side. Two, four, six, eight, the even numbers tend to be more emotionally based. So their communications come from more of a heart side. Um, right there, we can see there can be a rub, right? You've got an analytical and an emotional. The nine, the top of the Enneagram, which is our beautiful peacemaker, um, is kind of the bringing the peace between the two. They're analytically and um, emotionally based. The reason I bring that up is because depending on who's in the room with you, whether you're in a work situation, in a immediate family situation with your partner or spouse or your extended family with all your siblings, both of you, if you are truly odd numbers, which I think you are, a one and a three, are going to speak easier. Um, think about the people in the room with you. You're one, three, five, seven. If your siblings, work colleague, spouse is one of those, it makes the conversations easier. If you're in a room full of emotion-based people, if for whatever reason you didn't connect on the first communication, you've lost them somewhat. So analytical people need to be thoughtful about making an emotional payment. Emotional people need to be thoughtful about giving enough facts, information, rational basis when they're communicating. So in a family, for example, I have three teenage boys. There are four of the five of us in our, in our immediate family that are odd numbers. So it's a highly analytical family. One of them is my spouse. So our conversations tend to be naturally more aligned because we both operate in this kind of brain space, um, you know, in our heads, which is neither good or bad. It just means that we're understanding each other more uh, naturally. Imagine being the kid who's the even number, right? The emotions-based kid with two analytical parents and two analytical brothers, right? Mm -hmm. Who do you think is most challenged in our family by our natural dynamic? Oh, yeah, definitely. That, that outlier. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, and you, you don't love anyone more than you love your children, right? Mm -hmm. So as a parent, what a fantastic tool to be like, take a deep breath, Nicole, pivot, slow down, make an emotional payment, give him time to process, require a response, but be open to what that response is, hmm. right? Very different than I speak to my husband or my other two kids. Hmm. But there used to be a lot more friction that didn't have an explanation, especially for an analytical person, that was really hard. And a three who moves fast, right? Really hard. It has been a really useful and peaceful transition to that. So some people will say, oh, that sounds so manipulative and strategical, but it's not. It's actually very honoring of that other person to say, I see you, I understand you, and actually how I communicate with you says a lot about how much I love you. Because it's not about me, it's about you. Yeah. That's super fascinating because I feel like, like, so Myers-Briggs is the one test that I'm most familiar with and I took it in college and Actually, the first time I took it uh, was at the psychology department in school, and I tested like straight down the middle in every category. But my friend was studying psychology and, and is a counselor today, and, and uh, so I was kind of her guinea pig. But like I always felt, especially with thinker feeler, I, I really could flip. And, and more recently, Mary and I took the Enneagram, and um, I've embraced that I really am emotionally driven. So like, just, I see the one in black and light, like we either love people or we don't like, why aren't we all loving you people right now? I don't understand. And, and so I wrestle with that, but just the analytical side of me is definitely still there. And I'm always thinking through things analytically as well, but I'm driven emotionally by the decisions I make. So it was fascinating to hear kind of that, like how I'm flipping back and forth between those two. What's the synopsis of each one? Just 
like even start oh, with sure. that. Like we, we've talked about the odd and even, and that's been super helpful. Like what is a good quick summary of each one? Cause now I'm trying to think through my siblings and I think my <laughs> brother might be based on what you just said, more of an even number. And maybe that's why he and I have a tiny bit of tension around that. Right. So. Oh, sure. Let me run you through them and I'll try to give just kind of a, a name, a little indicator where it just does fantastic and where it might be triggered. How's that? So again, there's nine. So number one, one is often known as the improver or the perfectionist. I prefer the, the term improver just because as Mary said, perfectionist brings up very specific things in people's mind and oftentimes negative, um, but improver, always looking to make things better, to improve the world and everything around them, to make things perfect, right, correct. Fantastic idealistic people who are always putting a lot of energy to do things right. The flip side of that is they can get caught up in perfectionism. They can be hypercritical of themselves first and foremost, which sometimes comes out to others. It's not even that they're holding others to such a high standard. They hold themselves. And if they feel that they've let themselves and the world around them and the people they care down, it can come across as highly critical. Um, in these days in COVID life, this is very hard for them because there is, you know, there isn't actually a right, there isn't a goal to achieve. So every day they're trying to make it better. And it's really hard to do that. It's very energy taking away, but they get their energy from um, imposing goodness, making things better in this world. So Barry, that's you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no big deal. I'm just an, an idealist that just wants to make everything better, David. You should be so lucky to be in my presence. <laughs> it is fantastic to have a one in your world, especially in your work world where you two um, go off of each other's energy because Mary is a healthy one. That's how we oftentimes result. Are you a healthier and unhealthy one? Are you self-aware and growing with it? Um, Mary is a healthy one. She recognizes her wonderful parts. She recognizes some of her cringeworthy parts and she can get herself back out. And that's always the goal of the Enneagram is that it is a useful tool that can take you where you feel like you're not thriving. And the idea is to be able to recognize it, name it and move out of it. Right. You're not going for, a, you know, you're not moving in. You're having a short fortnight holiday like you're just it's quick and out. Yeah. Well, my wife is a one, too. So clearly. Maybe my personality type attracts ones. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so then the two, as we're moving, and we move clockwise. So the one is just about at the one o'clock place. The two moves down to the three because we don't have 12 numbers, right? And the nine is atop the circle when you're thinking about it. Um, the two is called the helper or the giver, the helper giver. So very emotive base. They want to help. Um, they are completely geared toward relationship people. Think of Oprah on steroids, right? When a two is in their sweet spot and they're, they are giving, 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 they're relentless in helping others. Um, the negative of that is they get their energy from the connection with others. And if they don't feel needed and appreciated, they can go into martyrdom, like concocting fake things to get more attention. Um, and sometimes for analytical folks, twos are so incredible when they're healthy. When they're hanging out and they're not such good place in that martyrdom or I need lots of attention, I'm needy. Um, they can almost be like repellent to people, which is the opposite of what they want, right? And I'm speaking in extremes, so I don't want anybody to, but I want them to start to recognize themselves. So I am speaking in those extremes so they see it. Well, and, and Nicole, si side note, I tested as a two a couple of times right after I became a mom. So uh -huh. um, just that my identity at the time was so anchored in becoming a caregiver, right, and becoming a mother yeah. that um, something David and I talked about, too, was just that that was fascinating, that that obviously came through, that I was like, um, I was right. often coming out that way when that was not my core. I was like, this just isn't sticking, but there is so much. I was taking the test in that mm -hmm. mom identity. You just hit two things so perfectly. So thank you for bringing that up. Is number one, that's a perfect reason why a test is a starting place and not the answer because you answered very much in the place you were caretaking and loving in a way that you never had before. And you were over like your whole identity became part of that. And the second thing is I've worked with quite a few um, groups of women who happen to be moms. And when they take the test and we start, 
I'll have a room, let's say with 12 or 14 women and 10 or 12 of them will tell me they're twos. And after the initial workshop, two hours later, I've got maybe two or three twos. Yeah. We dug back to see who you really are. Being a mom is, and probably a dad as well, is such an all-encompassing, it changes uh, where your energies go, but it doesn't actually change where you get energy from. And that's what I really want people to dig into is if you find an accurate archetype and you try it on for size, you will, when you live in that sweet spot in that healthy place, you get so much energy because you're living right aligned with your natural motivations as opposed to a societal push or one you even put on yourself. Yeah. yeah. Like being a mom, right? Right. Okay. So number three, as we're moving around um, clockwise, is called the performer or achiever. These are high energy doers, human doings over human beings. They are achievement based. They have the unrivaled ability to see what's coming and pivot and always find a way through. Um, I am a three. There were things about me when I read the three description that just made me laugh out loud because they fit so well. Where is this? So threes often sound fantastic. People like, I want a three. And I would say to people, you want a three on your team. They do, do, do. Where is a three actually not um, in so wonderful sounding? Okay, here we go. And I heard this once in one of the teachings I attended, and it really stuck with me. Threes sometimes, because they're so busy achieving and doing, and they're good at it, lose themselves. They actually don't know their priorities. They actually don't really know what makes them tick without a lot of work because they're so busy pleasing and achieving in the world because they can that they're often disconnected to their inner self. Hmm. So one teacher who's really well respected in this world had said the three is the most tragic one on the Enneagram. And I was like, oh, that can't be. I don't feel tragic. Threes are generally very optimistic, can do, pragmatic, right? So I'm like, I am not tragic. Right. But then when I actually sunk into it, honestly, I can tell you that that is true of myself and many, many others. That three is until you can really get in touch with yourself. You just do it because you can. You're not 100 percent sure on the why. Mm. Then we move into the fours. The fours know their why. They're completely different from the threes. Again, even so very um, motive based. The four is the romantic or the individualist. Uh, they are motivated by making this world, their place in this world to be special and unique. They don't want an ordinary experience. They're bored very easily. They're deep in whatever they do. Oftentimes they can be creative people, artists, photographers, musicians, actors, um, huge emotional depth and realm. Uh, the downside is they can actually be moody and broody, uh, almost depression um, bound because if you, you know, statistics show, research shows 85 to 90% of the experience that you go through in this world, regardless of your um, socioeconomic level, gender, race, where you live in this world, is stuff that need, has to happen to get the day to go by. So the details are different, but the happenings, paying bills, taking care of your health, brushing your teeth, making your bed, laundry, the bank, raising children, whatever, those are not necessarily special to fours, right? So they want to always engage in deep conversation or be creating the next symphony. So fours sometimes can um, really struggle in an ordinary world. Five, uh, back to analytical, known as the investigator or the observer. These are the smartest person in the room. These are your intellects um, that just are motivated by information. There's never enough information for them. They want to make ultimately the right decision. If you have a five, you're going to notice them by slow moving, slow to share, very especially about personal details, um, and slow to share their opinion. However, once they formulated one, it's fantastic. And if you have a five in your world, they're great advice givers because they take in all the rational information of a situation and give you advice based on what would be the best outcome on the information. There's not a lot of emotion in there. A six is your loyalist or your loyal skeptic. They're all about safety and security. Again, emotive base. They want to control things to limit the possibility of things going wrong. They make fantastic friends and siblings and parents. They're very much loyal and steadfast. They're protective of those that matter to them. They've been preparing for Corona their whole lives. They knew there would be something that would take the world down and they'd be prepared. It also is very exhausting for them to worry 
and pivot for all those things that can go wrong. So at times they can be seen as a buzzkill or a party killer because they see where things can go wrong. And if I can't wrap my child in a helmet and bubble wrap, they shouldn't be doing that kind of thing. Um, so set six really wants to control the situation to decrease the risk, really risk adverse. Now, on the flip side of that, we get to the seven, odd, analytical. All right, try this on, David. I know where's a little seven. And sevens and threes have some similarities. Okay, sevens are the life enthusiast. Everybody wants to be a seven when they first look at it. Sevens love life. They're experience-oriented people who want and seek joy for themselves and others. Um, They are generally the life of the party. They are active. They are the opposite of the six. They're more risk tolerant because they're willing to take some risk, emotional or physical, in order to get more joy and experience um, and newness in life. They love novelty. They're big idea people. They have a lot of energy. Threes, sevens, and eights tend to be the biggest energy on the Enneagram. They have a lot of natural energy for executing ideas and whatnot. Um, But sevens, unlike threes, here's the slippery side of a three is always going to finish. Even if it's monotonous and boring, they made a, They said they would, and they will. A seven loves to start, has a really hard time getting through the middle, and they try to avoid unpleasantry or pain. So if they're struggling with something, a three will get through it. They're not as lively or necessary as fun or big idea people. Seven are big idea people. But they oftentimes need someone with a little more discipline to help push them through to the end. Um, I parent two sevens. It's an interesting journey. I'm like, of course you should do it because you should do it. They're like, no, not fun. I'm like, well, let's find fun some other way, but you're going to get it done. So you can see how we, I figured that out with them. I was like, okay, you go take this and do that and then come back and get your schoolwork done or your obligation for the family or whatever it is. So you figure out ways to work together. From seven, we jump to eight. Eight, again, I said is one of the highest energy ones on the Enneagram, arguably the highest. The eight is the independent or challenger. An eight actually is highly emotive, but it doesn't seem that way when you meet them. Eights often to me are the easiest to recognize. They exude strength and confidence. They are amazing leaders, natural leaders. They make people feel taken care of and they just need to follow um, in times. Where eights are challenged are that they come across as black and white thinkers, their way or the highway different than a one. It's not that it's just right. It's just their way because they're confident and strong in themselves. And they're usually so able to execute because they have so much energy. Ones are driven by an idealism. Eights are driven to be independent. No one should control them. And then we'll round out with the nine, which is really interesting right next to the eight. The nine, the top of the Enneagram, both a mix of emotive and analytical, are are beautiful peacemakers or collaborative ones. They exist to bring peace to a situation. They love bringing groups of people together, whether it's in a work situation or a family. They they intrinsically know how to bring a calm about the room. Um, There's nothing more wonderful than an eight and nine in any situation because there's always some potential conflict to be had. So especially in a big group of siblings or a leadership group or in a work team that's working toward a goal and everybody's in different places, nines can sense what needs to be done to bring people together. The flip side of it is because they're so busy bringing people together, they lose themselves. And you sometimes will get them to be withdrawn or actually quite angry and they won't express why, but it's because they feel lost. They lost their own opinion or their sense of contribution because they're so busy merging the group that they've merged right into group identity. One quick thing, because people always say, well, how is a nine and twos oftentimes get confused? Two is about the individual relationship. They get energy from the relationships themselves. Nine is about the whole actually group think, the group feel. And nines actually really appreciate time by themselves to recharge their batteries. Twos never want to be by themselves. They love to be around others. I feel like only a three could have just given such a perfect synopsis of all nine Enneagram types in five minutes or less. (laughs) That was amazing. (laughs) so david then what like what's sitting with you between the three and the seven i'm sitting here with like i have a i don't know and i feel like you're the only person that can really like um bring that forth 
Well, yeah, I just pulled up the results of my test. So it's like the top score was three by far in both the tests that we took. And then the next score down was a two on both of them. And then the next score down on one was a nine. Because when you're talking about like more of the group think, I'm like, I, I feel like I'd, I'd go to that. Like, how do I create this scenario where there's always a win-win-win? It's the team that we try to empower and collectively we're going to get through this the other test didn't even have nine it was like way 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 down on the bottom but um yeah i don't know i think between three and seven the the big big thinker of the seven i relate to but there was one piece of the seven i'm like nope that's not me do you recognize (laughs) yourself in any of the cringy parts like would you recognize yourself more so with seven i said they avoid unpleasantry they can procrastinate they can start and not finish That's um, not versus me. a three a three in its cringy parts are they can lose sight, sight of themselves they can cut corners to get finished um very unlike don't tell mary that very unlike a one a one does not cut corners but a three will cut oh we already corners. know that about each other <laughs> yeah <laughs> a three, so my husband and I are like that. A three will cut corners, you know, good enough is the new perfect, 80% over 20%. Um, yeah, there you go. Okay, so they cut corners. They they get really triggered by people who say they're going to do something and not do it. Um, they get really triggered by people holding them back. If they have to slow down, they're often in a rush to get it done. They're racing toward the finish line, so to speak. Um, do you recognize yourself in any of those more not such nice attributes? Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's better. I think that fits. And I think because you also said you're very emotive base, I wonder if you're a three with a strong wing two, um, very in touch. And Mary, I wonder if you're a one, I was thinking you're a one wing nine um, because of what you do with your siblings, Mm -hmm. uh, because I've seen you in that. But I'm wondering if you think that peacemaker also goes into other roles in your life versus just the individual, um, more relationship centric. Well, you know, to first touch on David, I, I you always get it done, David. So, uh, you know, you may not check off all your tasks in asana, but you're, you've done them, right? So it's <laughs> like, uh, so I, I'm like sitting here thinking that that seven where it was like that you just have a hard time pushing it over the finish line, like you always push it over the finish line. So for me, I think that you probably are more that. And the helper is so in you. You are the most... Um, he's such a theologian and such a person that is just wants to help the world. The one of the kindest people you'll ever meet. So I think that at his core, no doubt the confusion might come from how close you are with those two, but that you're just operating from, you know, different situations call different parts of you. But for me, I've never had, I have a lot of peacemakers around me. My there's, Two for sure. My mom and my sister Grace is a peacemaker, and I've mentioned that in the past. I've I haven't even considered myself that because I always just sort of put them as the peacemakers and didn't know if that was really me. Um, but I am really able to help balance a room and a group. I mean, in the work setting, I've that's been my role all the time. Is how can I um, bring people together and. I've been told, though, the the loyal thing, and clearly I was told that younger, a part of me now when I'm thinking about the six makes me think, was I uh, mostly just in, you're so easily influenced as a middle schooler by all your siblings that I think that I, that probably was less accurate, but loyalty is something that um, I hold pretty dear to. It's hard to know. And well, and remember, it's not that we're black and white in it, right? It's just we're going for what we're most. Yeah. Um, that doesn't mean you don't have the others. And like looking at David, some people, um, you know, their results are so heavily weighted one way and other people's just tick right down, right? So it's really, again, why we call it a study and a practice. It's really easy to learn a little bit, implement a little bit, learn some more, implement some more. And be able to pivot, you know, that it's, it, and that's easy for three to say. It is because pivoting is a natural place for a three. I'm like, ooh, learn, implement more. Ooh, learn, implement more. And that might speak to like, because every one of them, I'm like, sometimes I'm that, sometimes I'm that, sometimes I'm that. <laughs> so maybe that is that three then speaking up. <laughs> that is your three, right? Trying those on. And three, I would say, Mary said something about you, David. When three is in their sweet spot, when three is in their most healthy place, they are actually the most fantastic at helping others to recognize in themselves their strengths 
and giving them a path forward. Three always see a path forward. So when people talk with me, both professionally and personally, friends, I'll always be like, oh, well, then you should just do that. Why didn't you think of just doing that? Because three is always can just see the steps right forward. And so when you're in a healthy place as a three, you see the steps forward for others and you just want to help them get there. So you're always sharing that where most people starting is the hardest part. And for a three, that's not. You're like, well, that's the first step. Just get going. And when you take the first step, the next seven steps are going to show themselves. And every time you take a step, there's more options. So come on, step, 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 right? And (laughs) so when a three is in a healthy place, when a three is not in a healthy place, they're competitive and they're not willing to give those steps to others because they want to be achieving. That was one I probably should have um, brought out there. So, But when threes are healthy, they're not competitive. They're beautiful and collaborative. um, And that's a wonderful place for threes to be if they're feeling strong. And that's the place to aim to be. So I don't want people to leave this thinking, I must only be one thing. No, we're complex, um, oftentimes complicated human beings. The key is to figure out our complexities and live to the things that give us more joy. Live to the parts of us that give more to the world around us because it needs that. But we do too. We we rise up. We attract that back in others when we're the best version of ourselves. I, I'm kind of tripping out because I realize that both of you as threes have helped me navigate through things so clearly <laughs> that, you know, through losing my father, you I always would email you something and you gave me the path of least resistance. And it was so succinct. I mean, I would send her a soliloquy and then I'd get two (laughs) sentences back and I was like, yes, like so clear. And then same thing with David. Anytime I've had to do something, he's just like, well, this is where it's heading. He's like, he can see that big picture. And he's like, so just this, these are the steps to get there. So it just, there is this big picture thinking, um, then I'm recognizing that you guys have ushered me through so much less pain as a result of our relationship. So thank you for one. And because <laughs> um, otherwise I'd be overanalyzing and trying to perfect it in all the good for all at the same time. And there's many times no, no such thing. I think that's the challenge with making decisions sometimes is you want it to be right for everyone, for me. And uh, the other thing that you just touched on is the reason why we brought you on to this too is that the third place to us is about finding truths in, in a spectrum and not in a dichotomy. So it sounds to me that the Enneagram is exactly that, that the essence of it really at its core is that um, we are not just this number and it's not this black or white thing. There's this spectrum of finding truths and understanding our strengths and our motivators and that that uh, in turn can help us be better in relationship and better to the world. That is said perfectly. Absolutely. It is not sticking you. There's a wonderful quote, and I'll paraphrase, but how the Enneagram isn't putting you in a box. It's helping you figure out which box you're already in and work your way out to live the life that you want. And so that is so true. And we are not copies of one another. We are our own versions, right? But we should be as, you know, it's called Sailor Sweet Life, the company, because I think each person should live a sweet life. And Enneagram is a tool in being able to do that. So where can people find more uh, about that work? Do you have like uh, social media handles, websites where we can even take a little bit deeper dive uh, with your work in the Enneagram? Absolutely. I Everything is under Sailor's Sweet Life, which um, probably would have been easier to just be my name. But Sailor's Sweet Life, like a sailor on the high seas, S-A-I-L-O-R-S, Sweet Life. So there's that double S right there, dot com at Sailor Sweet Life on Instagram, Pinterest, and Facebook, where I share daily inspiration. But I think the thing that might be most interesting to your folks is right now I have a little mini course up. It is a self-paced 10 video module, um, 90 minutes total with a detailed workbook where you can go through with me and figure out your type. So it's a great place to get started and uh, it is just $47. And that's just a little special I'm running right now because I want people to be able to do the work. It's just a little more than buying a book, but it is interactive and it is so important to interact uh, while you do it, especially with yourself. You know, try on those questions of the good and the not so nice parts of it and knowing that there's not a right answer. So um, that's right there at sailorsweetlife.com under courses. And uh, you can always reach out to me. There's a contact button on there if you have any questions. As you can see, I love talking this stuff. And as a three, I love helping other people find a more productive and joyful path forward. Thank you so much, Nicole. What an honor. Appreciate you so much. 
Absolutely. Thank you both. All right. Be well.